0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, it is Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker podcast. This is episode number 101. And today is February twenty second, two 2022. Um, today's case is going to involve the murder of the um, Walker family in uh, Osprey, Florida in 1959. You know, we think of the When we think of the 1950s, even earlier, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, we have this very nostalgic thought of, um, you know, drive-in movies, um, old Coke machines, ice cream shops, and all kind of things like that. However, What we fail to realize is that the 1950s itself began to uh, elevate in the number of uh, murders per year. Um, The 1950s started a murder trend which began the hiatus, which went from the 60s, 70s, 80s being the highest and just 90s slightly lower. Uh, today, Today's uh, murder rate, statistically, is about half of what 1980 was, but com- it is comparable to the 1950s. Um, the Walker family lived in a rural area of uh, Osprey, Florida, and on 12, or December 20th of 1959, um, a ranch hand named uh, Danny McClear had driven over to the, the Walker's home to um, pick up uh, the husband, uh, Cliff, Cliff Walker. They were to, that morning they were going to go out and go um, hunting for wild hogs. Now, keep this in mind because I find some so a few things interesting about it. Hunting for wild hogs, just keep that in mind. That's something I want you to keep in mind. Uh, when the ranch hand uh, approached the house, he noticed the front door was locked. And he said that he had to cut, cut his way through a screen door to um, get into the house. Um... I have a kind of question about that sequence of events. Um, So, if a screen door or a storm door is always in front of a, the solid door, the security door. If, in fact, you cut through the screen door and manage to open it, Why would the security door be left open? Why would they just lock the screen door instead of both doors? It's just kind of odd because if one door is locked, the other door should be locked. One would think. Maybe in this case something else happened, but that sequence of events also... Seems a little strange. The ranch hand mentioned when he entered the house that he had find, found found uh, the the wife Christine, Christina Christina uh, Walker first. Uh, she had been shot in the forehead with a twenty-two long rifle. Uh, law enforcement had determined that she had been sexually assaulted. Upon further entry to the house. Um, the ranch worker found uh, the husband Cliff and the son Jimmy also shot in the corner of the house. Which in turn um, the younger daughter, uh, Debbie, wasn't found at that time. The ranch hand left the house, contacted law enforcement. Law enforcement came and eventually found um, the young girl in In the bathtub, it was determined that she had had been shot, but she had also been uh, placed in the tub uh, and drowned. Their speculation is that um, that the girl had been shot, hadn't died, the suspect ran out of ammunition and had drowned the child. Now, if I'm right, that's one, how many shots do we have here? We have three shots that were fired. One, two, three. If it was a revolver, that would have been six shots. Four shots. So where would the other two shots have been? I wonder if anybody thought of that. If it was a revolver. If it was any other type of... Firearm, a semi-automatic or a rifle, or been surely more than uh, six shots. So, so really, based on based on the amount amount of shots fired, it's more practical that the the suspect had a uh, a revolver. And if if there was a revolver, you would have known that the the law enforcement should have found stippling uh, on all all, all four bodies. Stippling is um, basically unburnt gunpowder and even sometimes fragmentary pieces of the bullet when shot at close range. I wonder if they checked that. I don't know. But that's my thought. So, an interesting thing, the law enforcement did know there were several, several things taken. Now, since now, here's the issues I always have with this. The four occupants of the House of Deceased, how would you really know what was taken? That's an interesting question. But they said what, what was taken was um, Cliff's pocket knife, the wife's uh, majorette uniform, and her birth certificate. Um, a couple suggestions on that. It may it may indicate that the wife was a um, the target. Uh, she had got home around four o'clock, and um, she had gone grocery shopping. Maybe she had a chance to put the groceries away. An individual came over the house that she knew. It was reported that she was having an affair, maybe with one, two people. And that, um, like I said, there was reports that she had been sexually assaulted. Um, That's a theory. But you know what, time-wise, too, the, the... the ranch hand that came to the house was always a suspect. Now, he reported that him and Cliff were going hog hunting. Now, if it was determined that Christine had arrived home at about 4, and her husband a little later. That's kind of a later part of the day, depending on what time of the year it is, uh, to go out hunting. Because think about it, hunting season is generally, um, depending on what part of the world you're in, Um, for the majority, most part of the year, you know, it's a husband that got home about five o'clock, that's the later part of the day to really go hunting. And that brings in the question, I wonder if law enforcement checked to see if the ranch had actually had a hunting rifle. And if Cliff was going hunting with this guy, more than likely a rifle would have been somewhere around the house. But that wasn't taken. A major red uniform was taken and a birth certificate. Kind of odd. And who's really the substantiate those were actually taken? I mean, how do you know? I mean, that's, that's kind of a... I, I think that's just speculation based on probably the people they interviewed. It did indicate, though, uh, that a high heel uh, shoe was found of uh, Christine Walker's, and the high heel uh, boot had uh, a lot of blood on it. Now, this is an interesting thought that if the branch hand contacted the police police interviewed him, they would have immediately known there, were, there was, if he was kicked in the face or wherever, a high-heeled shoe. they would have known it. So, although his story seems a little fishy, based on that, I would have to say he was probably not involved because if you get kicked in the face or hit in the face with anything and it's that bloody, the injuries are going to be there a couple hours later when you're so, um, there was also another family member who was known to have violent tendencies. Uh, I'm going to put him on the top the top of the list and you'll understand why uh, at the end of this. Uh, there was a, an individual named uh, Emmett Monroe Spencer who was a reported serial killer who, uh, in the book... Um, in cold blood, admitted to, uh, well, not in the blood. No, he, he he stated that he had done this. Let's just cut that book out for a second and get back to it. Um, Spencer had claimed that he was um, responsible for the Williams family homicide. However, uh, he was also a chronicle, chronological liar, and there was nothing to indicate that he was in the area at the time. Uh, two, in 2012, two other uh, suspects uh, showed up, uh, Perry Smith and Richard uh, Hickok. They were, both, they, they were a pair uh, who had originally been um, suspected of killing another uh, family. They were seen in the area of uh, Osprey, Florida, at the time of the homicides, their hotel was only a short distance away that the, where they were staying. Uh, when they were eventually arrested, a watch that was similar, I mean, not a watch, a pocket knife that was similar to um, uh, Cliff Walker's pocket knife was found. But then again, honestly, how do we know that it was the same um, the same pocket knife? We don't. So I'm going to put them up there on the list Is maybe... our our first possible link to a people of interest. Uh, They had been known for violent crimes. It would make a lot of sense that one of them was carrying a revolver with only six shots. Still doesn't explain where the other two shots are, but who knows. Um, So I'm going to put them on our list. The next thing I want to put on our list, I'm going to put them on the top of our list, and I'll tell you why, because they in 2012 they had... Exhumed the body of Christina um, Walker in an attempt to get DNA samples from the, se- the uh, semen that was left during the sexual assault. Unfortunately, uh, it was discovered that they had been contaminated, so they really didn't have much to go on. So, based on the pocket knife, witnesses seeing these two knuckleheads in the area, them being involved in the similar type of criminal behavior. I'm going to put them at the top of the list. Um, The second suspect or the third suspect, actually, person of interest, is the uh, the relative of theirs that had violent tendencies. Now, like I said, they said that the uh, this girl uh, Christina's uh, birth certificate was stolen. Um, Later. I want to say 2020. Uh, the birth certificate was turned over to law enforcement by a family member. So I'm assuming that this family member was probably the obviously not this family member. I think this family member was one that was covering up for the violent, um, the other violent family member who probably had taken it. If in fact it was taken, eventually this person probably passed away. Relatives, the other relative, doing because of conscience, turned it over. Uh, But again, you know, I have I have the issue. My issue, my my sticking sticking point here is, you know, it would make sense that the um, a family member of violent tendencies would have done it. Um, you know, she would have allowed him into the house, obviously, if she knew him. But, but, I don't know, I just, you just can't be sure that any of these three items were stolen. I mean, it's just speculation. What wasn't speculation was that, uh, prior to the homicide, you had, um, Perry Smith and Richard Hancock show up at the Walkers' house attempting to sell them a stolen car. So with all, all things being said, I think those are the two viable suspects in the, in the, uh, in the crime. You know, it, it matches their M.O., the way they did things, you know. They seemed like creepers. They probably were creepers. And it was interesting that in a, in a book um, in Cold Blood that was put out, I think in 65, the author attempted to um, disprove the fact that these two suspects were involved in the crime. However, based on certain evidence he had, but later look at the evidence and information that the writer had, uh, it was found out that the the information was inaccurate, that these two uh, two suspects were, in fact, in the area at the time. So, with that being said, I can pretty much believe that these two, uh, these two were the, these two were the uh, suspects. It's either it's either him or the, the ranch hand, and like I said, I mean the ranch hand would have shown bloody marks if, you know, if you, if you report a crime like that, the, the police are eventually going to consider you a suspect and they're going to make making you, you know, take off your shirt, and your pants just to make sure that, you know, just to check for damage and all that kind of other, and if there's an assault, you know, they're going to collect, uh, additional samples, um, So, with that being said, it kind of throws us off our nostalgic look of the 1950s. You know, happy days. You know. And all that kind of stuff that goes with it. Because apparently... And another interesting thing about 1959 was that... um, on, uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, the actor that played um, one of the characters on um, Little Rascals. Alfalfa, Alfalfa. He was also killed in 1955. Uh, he was actually he was actually shot to death. Uh, he had. Uh, had, after the He couldn't find really any work after um, doing the little rascals. He had been kind of uh, portrayed as one certain type of actor, couldn't find any work. So he decided that uh, he was going to raise hunting dogs. And uh, there was some type of dispute between the dogs. He attempted to collect money using a, some type of knife. And the person on the other end uh, shot and killed him. Uh, lesson to be learned there, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll look into his um, his homicide and, you know, maybe a couple um, episodes down the road. One oh two we're gonna we're gonna review um, the homicide of uh, a cult leader in Connecticut. Um, he wasn't the leader, he was the he was actually the second down. His name was Paul Sweetman. So we're gonna we're gonna do that in 102 uh, for a few different reasons. We'll get to him. But until then, this is episode uh, episode 101 of the Night Stalker podcast on Anchor Radio, and we are getting membership. It's just growing and growing and growing. Uh, keep listening. I'm getting a little better at doing this. Uh, without being interviewed, you know, the first, like, 40 episodes were pretty, I mean, they were accurate and to the point, but, you know, it takes a while to get used to talking to yourself, um, and having a microphone listen to you, um, I don't know why I'm pretty good at talking to myself, but, until then, this is, uh, Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker Podcast.